morning. morning. Y'all can have a seat. Uh, If you have a Bible, you can go with me to uh, Proverbs chapter 3. We will be continuing our study through Proverbs 1 through 9. Uh, As we dig into the text, we're we're again and again seeing the reality that that Proverbs uh, is not just about us figuring out how to do life a little bit better, how to life hack our situations, or how to balance our checkbooks, but for us to come an understanding of what the world is and how it works, namely that the world was made by God for God, and that when we understand who He is, our life is better. And again and again, we're going to see sort of this literary device of a father teaching his son as his father is discipling him in what reality actually is. And so before we dig in, I will pray, and then we will dig into one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day and we are your people. Uh, For those of us who know you, who've been cleansed by your blood, bought by your cross, we stand today in victory. We stand as your children seeking your face. God, change us. Mold us. Father, make us more like your Son. Help us to live and lean more and more into the reality of who you are. Not who we think we are, but who we know we are because of your son, Jesus. Help us, Lord, as we have faith in you, as we know you, and as we trust you. Pray these things for your glory and for our joy, and in your name, Jesus Christ, amen. This text contains perhaps what I think is one of the most important verses in the whole book and the whole Bible, and that's Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own in understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Um, this idea of trusting God is not limited uh, just to Christians. It's actually a hugely apologetic uh, and important thing. Uh, the reality is that there's sort of two uh, major reasons and two major categories for not believing in the existence of God or, or really in believing the Bible. Uh, the first category is empirical. And by empirical, I mean uh, that uh, we can't run God through the scientific method, uh, that we have trouble with the evidence of God. And I think that that is, of course, answered in the person of Jesus. There's actually more evidence when you give it a fair hearing than we realize, but that's not really what we're talking about today. What we're talking about is the other bucket, and the other bucket is ethics. We say something like, Well, I could never believe in a God who, fill in the blank. Uh, This is Seattle, where we tend to be a a spiritual people. We tend to believe in something. Um, So it's usually not that empirical rejection of spiritual things or or reality beyond what we can see, but it usually goes something like, I could never believe in a God who, blah. Now, there's several problems with that. The first problem being, you're God in the scenario. You get to tell God what his ethics are like, rather than the one who made absolutely everything, including you, gets to tell you how life is and how reality is. You stand in the place of God and judge God. Uh, And that, by the way, when you think about it, for just a second, doesn't actually work. Uh, The other big deal is just like the empirical problems answered in the person in Jesus best, so is the ethical one. That our objections to God get cleared up the more we know Jesus and the more we know his gospel. When you say, well, how... How could there be a God who allows there to be evil in the world? We understand that God didn't make it evil. We broke it. And we understand that he's actually the one fixing it. And we go on and on in the reality of Jesus. That that Jesus takes our sin and our messed upness and our jacked upness and says, I will drink the cup of wrath for you so that you can live free in God. We have a God who's both just, righteous, kind, and loving. 
He's a God who doesn't just sweep things under the rug because it turns out another thing is like, well, if there's a God, why doesn't he do something about all this horrible stuff? He will, and he's going to. But what's amazing about him is he doesn't just deal with all the horrible stuff. He actually gives room for those of us who have fallen short of his glory coming into human history. The person of Jesus Christ dies on the cross to save us from ourselves, forgive us for our sins, and give us life. Right? The answer's in Jesus. Now, the thing is, the more we know God, and we're New Testament Christians, we're preaching an Old Testament book, it's New Testament scripture, the more we know God, the more we trust God. And the main way we know God is in the person of His Son. But we're going to look today at three specific ways that we can trust God. We can trust God's favor. And I'll unpack that, by the way. We, we can trust God's guidance. And we can even trust God's correction. So dig with me here in chapter 3, starting verse 1. Uh, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Okay, so remember... Uh, this isn't just for fathers and sons. It, it's for people. The father-son situation is the literary device uh, that Solomon's using as he writes this text to do discipleship. And, and true discipleship is helping people being formed in the love of Jesus. Again, we're New Testament Christians, so I can say that. Solomon didn't know his name was going to be Jesus yet. But, but really, at the end of the day, Solomon is trying to form these people in knowing God. The ground of discipleship and the ground of Proverbs and the ground of wisdom and understanding and insight is knowing God. And really, uh, and I read this from somebody else this week, and I think he's right to say it, that knowing God for us as New Testament Christians could be understood as having faith in God. That's the kind of knowing we're talking about. It's not just knowing things about God, but knowing who God is. So he's trying to develop his son in knowing God. So remember, this isn't just some advice. I grew up in a neighborhood where there were a lot of dads that were missing. They were at work, they were in the garage, they were in prison, they were gone, right? A lot of dads gone. It turns out what young men do is they seek someone to disciple them, even if it's a wicked man. <laughs> even if the knowledge that they're passing on, uh, the advice that they're giving is not good advice. But he's there, and he drives a Suburban, and he's always there at three, and that's when we get off school, and so we hang out with him, and he tells us how life is. Now, the problem with that is it's not grounded in reality. It's not grounded in the reality of who God is. So we have to understand, whenever it talks about these kind of, this kind of relationship between the father and the son, it's grounded in a dad who loves God. Right? It's grounded in the idea of someone who's trying to not just convey, this is how you balance your checkbook, but this is how the world works because I know who God is. I want you to know who God is. And when you know who God is, it helps you understand how the world he made actually works. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. John 14, 5, what does Jesus say? If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Right? So, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. So again, if the greatest way that we have access to know God is the Bible, hear it here, there's two things going on in, the, in terms of knowledge. Don't forget. Don't forget. Don't let it slide by because you know how easy it is to forget who you are? You know how easy it is to forget who Jesus is? Do you know how easy it is to forget that your worth and identity is found in Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, and not in how much money you have or how many friends you have or how many people gave you the little thumbs up symbol or a heart or other thing online? Uh, that is not who you are or your worth. That's not it. It's Jesus, and it slips away. So there's sort of a passive. We can forget it. 
We get out of the habit of reading our Bible. We get out of the habit of going to God in prayer. We get out of the habit of meeting with the church. We do these things that sort of let it slip on by. And the next thing you know, you've forgotten who you are. Now, there's the don't do the passive thing. Don't forget. Don't let it go. But there's also the active thing. Keep it, right, here in the second half of the uh, verse 2. No, pardon me, verse 1. But let your heart keep my commandments. Get after them. Get after knowing what I have taught you. And again, this, I believe, is from the understanding of a dad who has his instruction to his son grounded in the reality of God. Verse 2. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Length of days actually means biological days. Now, we have to remember we're in Proverbs. It's a masal. It's not a stitch in nine saves time, the English version of a proverb. It's an actual Hebrew literature category, which means we're dealing with a lot of generalizations. Someone loves Jesus. He's faithful to God. He hits the mission field, and he dies. Faithful. That doesn't mean he didn't have faith. That doesn't mean he didn't love Jesus because it says length of days. You don't test if someone loved Jesus by length of days. But when you're walking in the knowledge of who God is, when the bad dad with the the suburban at three tells you this is how you should live life, you have the knowledge to say, well, that's really foolish and that will get me killed at a young age. There's some wisdom here. It's a generalization. Next, years of life. Well, didn't we say length of days? This word life here and the way it's used really means quality. That there is no richer life than a life knowing God. There is no richer life than a life that's steeped in the reality of Jesus and who He is. There's no richer life than the life that understands that Jesus Christ died on the cross and the curtain of the temple torn in two from top to bottom that Jesus died to give you full and unfettered access to God, not because of anything that you've done, but everything that Jesus has done, that you are called son or daughter of God Most High, and that is the relationship that you have with God through Jesus Christ. And that, friends, is quality. That, friends, is quality. He also says this, and peace. And peace they will add to you. The word peace, shalom in Hebrew, one of the most common words, you may have heard it before, it's a, even a greeting in Jewish circles, shalom, or a salutation of some sort. Might be goodbye. Um, anyways, I think so often in the chaos of our world, when we think peace, we think the absence of hostility. And I know how it goes. Some of you would just like a little absence of hostility. The world is crazy, your relationships are crazy, life is crazy. The war against your own sin is crazy. Work is crazy. Seattle is crazy. Whatever it is, you would just like for everything to settle down for a minute and not seem hostile. But the promise here is greater than the absence of hostility. It's not just a ceasefire. It's wholeness. Through the person of Jesus, through the knowledge of God, through faith in Him, we have wholeness. That Jesus Christ is the one who's paid the price for our sins. Again, making us right with God. Giving us, not just paying the price for our sins, but giving us life. Giving us new hearts. Sending us the Holy Spirit. Opening our eyes to what the world actually is, who we actually are, and how much we actually need Him. And this brings wholeness. And now it's a process, right? It's a process. It's called sanctification. He's changing you. He's making you, God's making you more like His Son every day. He's at work in your life. But it brings wholeness. 
Verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor. There's our word. Favor and good success in the sight of God and man. We have to trust the God's favor. Because three and four are about response. Three and four are about us responding to who God is and what he's done in the world. This is our life as Christians. I think this is what Paul has in mind in Romans 12 when he says that our lives are to be living sacrifices. That when we have an encounter with the God of the universe through the person of Jesus Christ, that changes absolutely everything and tunes our life to being about the business of Jesus Christ, about knowing him, loving him, walking in the forgiveness that we have in him. And here we go in three. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. This one's a little tricky. But what we're really after here, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, is your own personal character, who you are. The word love here is a great, great word uh, that's best translated one single English word that nobody ever uses called loving kindness. Loving kindness. It's got a lot of syllables. Uh, but there's a kind of love in loving kindness that means that you're the kind of person that loves people regardless if they've just spit in your face or given you a Ferrari or a truck, maybe a speedboat, whatever's your thing, right? But that in loving kindness, we can love people even when they're doing us harm. Now, that doesn't mean we just let them walk all over us, but that we have love Grace, mercy, and forgiveness for people all the time, regardless of what they're doing. Uh, not only that, we have this word, uh, faithfulness, loyalty. Loyalty. Why can we be faithful, and why can we be loyal, and why can we have loving kindness? Jesus Christ, in his mercy and his grace for you, continues to show you faithfulness and loving kindness. Even in the Old Testament, these are attributes that are talked about God again and again and again and again and again. He's a God who's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That is the most quoted Bible by the Bible in the Old Testament. That's who God is, and that's how God has treated you, right? I have fallen short of the glory of God again and again and again and again, and he's never cut me from the team. Why? Because it's not about how good I am. It's about how good his son, Jesus Christ, is and the price he paid for my sin on the cross that I might be redeemed, changed, and saved by him. That's what I'm walking in. Okay? Now, what does that do for me? Even Ephesians says, forgive as you've been forgiven. The, the kind of forgiveness we're supposed to have is the kind of forgiveness that Jesus has shown us. Well, man, if I'm supposed to forgive people the way that Jesus has forgiven me, and really when I take in the, the way Jesus has forgiven everybody else he's forgiven, my goodness... Talk about love and faithfulness and loyalty. So you'll find favor and good success. Uh, you will find favor and um, every once in a while I see it and you look at it and you can imagine what the guy who was trying to write this in here, when he's trying to find one word to put here for this, he's sitting there being like, uh, uh, good success? Yeah, good success, that's okay. Uh, acceptance. You're accepted by God. You'll find acceptance in God when we have this character, which of course is formed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm overlaying the uh, New Testament all over this thing, which I can do because Jesus did it, Luke 24, and so I'm safe there. 
but you'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Now, again, I think the man piece is a generalization. If you're walking with Christian character, with people who don't love Jesus, you may find that they say things like, wow, I got so mad at that guy, and I really let him have it. And he was very kind to me, and he forgave me. That was kind of creepy and weird. I, ra- I would rather he'd been mad at me for a couple of days, and then we'd be okay. But he didn't. He just turned the cheek and thing. He did that thing that they do, those Christians. He turned the other cheek, and he forgave me. That was weird. Man, he's a good guy. Right? That's a generalization. You might love Jesus, and people might hate your guts for it. But generally speaking, when you're walking in Christian character, people tend to actually like Christian character. That guy doesn't agree with anything I believe about anything, and yet he still has me over to his house. Right? We're, we're Seattle. We, we're working on it, right? We need to work continually on the conversation. We kind of shut conversation down. Oh, you believe that? I'm not listening to you. No, we need to listen. We need a dialogue. We need to interact. And when we can do that to people, it actually is Christian character, being able to have the conversation with people. And you're like, but you don't believe. I mean, I had this happen one, guy, one time, a guy I was living next to, walking with him, invite him over for dinner, and he, he, after somewhere about in the middle of the meal, when we're talking about Jesus and the Bible, and he's like, wait, wait a minute. So you guys, like, you guys, like, believe, like, the, the Bible. <laughs> yeah, we're called Christians. Well, yeah, but, like, you guys, like, believe the Bible Bible. Like, there's probably not very many of you guys in Seattle. And he felt like he had to be delicate now because, you know, he wanted to be respectful. And, in fact, he had to leave to go to his band rehearsal, and he said, he was really clear after we talked to him, I was like, listen, I'm going to leave right now, but it's not because I'm weirded out or you've offended me. I'd really like to talk some more. He was worried he was going to feel, we were going to feel offended because we were Christians and he was trying to be respectful of us as much as he could. Uh, but he's a guy we took in, we did life with, we walked with, and he wanted to keep hanging out and talking because we didn't agree on anything. And yet we were willing to have him in our house, we were willing to feed him, we were willing to be kind to him, and he was kind to us, and it was a great opportunity to do evangelism, right? That's the, the, but it's a generalization, favor in the sight of man, but I think what we see here is that when you're actually walking with God, you're always going to find favor in his eyes. When you're, when you're close to Jesus, I mean, sometimes we got to be careful here because we can get into what's been rightly called, I think, by some a Puritan worm theology where you can never, ever do anything right in God's eyes. Apart from Jesus Christ, if you don't know him, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you and loving here, there's nothing you can do that's going to make him happy. There's nothing you can do to earn his love, and everything you're doing is actually against him. Because we don't do the right things, we do things that are just actively against him. We do the wrong things, we do things for our own benefit, for our own glory, for our own uh, prestige. And all those things are apart from God, and we're living life apart from God, we're not going to find favor in his eyes. However, sometimes we take that into our Christian walk and into our sanctification. You can actually live a life that's pleasing to God if you're a Christian. Did you know that? Yes, total depravity. Apart from Jesus Christ, you are totally depraved. And yes, in Jesus, I mess up a lot. But in Jesus, I'm covered by the blood of the Lamb. My sins are paid for, and I belong to Him, so that when I screw up, Romans tells me, I have an advocate with the Father who continuously goes to the Father and, hey, look, Andrew screwed up again. And Jesus says, but I paid for it with the cross. And not only that, we live lives that are actually empowered by the Spirit that can actually be pleasing to God. Now, be careful here. I'm not saying you can do things to earn points with God. I'm not saying uh, if you fail in these things, then you don't get to, to be with God forever. But what's amazing, Brother Lawrence, I'm not a big quoter 
of the old Catholic guys, but Brother Lawrence was just plagued with this idea that he couldn't make God happy. And he resolved that God was so good and wonderful, whether God would accept him or not, all he wanted to do was know God and love God. Now, the sad thing is there that he missed the gospel. But what is awesome there is that it wasn't about him earning points to try and get up to God. It was that he realized that God is so wonderful and beautiful that everything he did to serve God was valuable. It was a good thing to do. So here's the deal. This is why Paul's going to say, because we get it wrong sometimes. If you hear that all your sins are paid for, and you're like, oh, I was going to go to the one Super Bowl party, but now I I got some friends. We're going to be doing some keg stands. I'm going to go to that Super Bowl party. And you start texting, say, Jesus covered it. I got it. Let's have a rager. You missed the gospel. The gospel is if you go to that party and you do those keg stands, you'll be forgiven. But if you do those keg stands because you think they're paid for, you've missed the whole thing. Does that make sense? I want to be clear. It's Super Bowl Sunday, so I've got to be very clear on my party references as you go out today. So I don't not sin to earn points with God. I don't not sin because I want more Jesus out of the deal. I read my Bible not to get points on the board. I read my Bible to get more of God, and there's nothing greater in my life than to get God. Okay? And we trust his favor. We trust that walking in him walking in his ways, and walking in his character, even when it means we get stepped on. Even when it means your neighbor's going to take advantage of you. That guy always loans me his lawnmower. I never bring gas back, but he's a Christian, so he just keeps filling the gas tank. And you get that sneaking suspicion, you're like, I think he knows that I'm not going to yell at him, and so he just keeps draining my gas. (laughs) Yeah, you might get stepped on. But what's the point of loaning your neighbor the gas? Loaning your neighbor the thing? he would meet Jesus, which is way more important than your gas tank. But it's Seattle, so you probably plug it in anyway, so we're just pushing. <laughs> Mine pushes. Doesn't have a motor. Made it all dull, and I had to sharpen it. Now, at the same time, when we're willing to trust God in those moments, when we're being stepped on by the world and saying, okay, God, I'm getting stepped on by the world, but I trust you, Lord. You're still going to find favor in his eyes. We're going to talk about it in a second, but favor in God's eyes doesn't always look like you get whatever you want. God loves you too much to let you be a spoiled child. We can imagine in our head, well, if God would show me favor, it would look like that speedboat or that Ferrari or that different job or whatever the grass is on that other guy's side of the street. That's not what's good for you all the time, by the way. What's good for you is that you know God, love God, and trust God, and he's going to do everything in his power, which is everything, by the way, to change you more and more to be like his son. Okay, verse 5. Trust God's guidance. Verse 5. Trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Trust the Lord. The more I know God, the more I trust God. The more I can look at misery and mess, and trust him to work out all things for good for those who love him. So I can trust him more. Now, there's a direct antithetical parallelism here. There's something that's the exact opposite of trusting God, and what is that? And lean not on your own understanding. Think about lean as depend, rest, be propped up. Don't be propped up by your own understanding. 
lean into God and what he said. Because it turns out I don't know that much, but God knows a lot. It, it turns out that God is the one at work. And the, the whole thing is trust with heart, the word heart here. Uh, in, in, in Hebrew, as an idiom, heart means the whole person. It doesn't just mean like your feelings, right? It's not the part of you that, no, no one listens to that band anymore. I'll stop even the reference. Uh, it's, it's not your sensibilities. It, it's more than that. It's the whole person. So it's your mind. It's your intellect. It's your heart. Uh, it's your whole being, the seat of the human person. With the whole person, with the whole of you, you trust in God. But what does that actually look like? Uh, go with me to the New Testament. We'll go to Matthew chapter 5. Pardon me. We'll be Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, this is Jesus, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? So what he's saying here is that we can get caught up in only thinking about the nitty-gritty details of our lives because we get anxious, we get all kinds of things, and we lean on our own understanding. Our own understanding says, I've got to figure this out for myself, and trust in the Lord doesn't mean you don't care about food. And you don't care. I don't care if I have food in the fridge when I get home. That's important. I've got four children. They're ravenously hungry when we go home. I need some food in the fridge. I need to think about it. But it's not where my heart terminates. It's not the beginning and the end of my life. Jesus is. Does that make sense? Because God's got the details worked out. It doesn't mean you don't get up and go to work tomorrow. right? Be careful there. Therefore, I do not tell you to be anxious about your life what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body or what you'll put on. Is not life more than food? Is not life more than your job? Is life not more than your success? Uh, is life not more than your Facebook account? Is life not more than the Super Bowl? I said it. It's Sunday. <laughs> We're on the West Coast. The game's not on until 3.30, so I can say it all day I want. I can go long preaching on the Super Bowl. I might just do it. Look out. Uh, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. Again, this is wisdom. This is the kind of, this is the Bible wisdom. This is understanding what the world is and how it works. And Jesus is reminding them, this is how the world works. This is what everyone else doesn't get apart from Christ. They neither sow, sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, you're freaking out about it, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what will you eat, or what will we drink, or what shall we wear? That's not your primary top-level concern, is what it's saying. That's why he's saying anxious again and again and again and again. He's not saying don't be concerned about it at all, because it's saying God knows you need to eat. He's not saying don't think about it. Don't be anxious about it. 
For the Gentiles seek after these things. For the Gentiles seek after food. For the Gentiles seek after clothing. For the Gentiles seek after status. For the Gentiles make their primary thing whose team wins the Super Bowl. The Gentiles are after these things. And your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but what? Here's your primary task. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Always be careful. As Americans who vote for presidents and congressmen, we often forget when the word says kingdom, there's always a king attached to the kingdom. It's synonymous. If you're seeking the kingdom, you're seeking the king. And who is the king? His name is Jesus. J-E-S-U-S, Jesus. He is the king of me. I've got a rhyme in case you forget what it means, right? But here, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. So it's a bold end. We're seeking the king and his righteousness. Well, what is righteousness? Righteousness is the gospel applied in your life and you living in response to the king and his kingdom. So we're seeking to have a life that's more and more and more and more conformed to the righteousness of the king and his kingdom. So we're seeking the king and to live as citizens of the kingdom. It would be weird if you said, I am a German citizen, but I cannot speak German, right? Most German citizens can speak German, or fill in the blank, whatever, whatever's your thing, right? Like, there's things that are indicative of these things. Ours is godliness, right? Therefore, but of course, all, all these things will be added to you. God will take care of it. Now, again, it doesn't always look the way you want it to look, but he'll take care of it, and he'll take care of you forever, in fact. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. The sufficient is today for its own trouble. Back to Proverbs. As I'm running out of time and would like to get you to the Super Bowl or your friend's living room and corn dogs. Okay, back in Proverbs. In all your ways, acknowledge him. I'm in verse 6. Uh, this is a hard verb to translate here. It's the word yada, 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 yada. That, that's the word, yada, to know. So, you know, we have here, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And that can kind of sound like you're sort of tipping the hat. Like, yeah, I put a, I'm a plumber and I've got a Jesus bumper sticker fish on my car, which is fine. It's fine. Uh, I'm turning my car into the dealership so they can give me an oil change to make sure it was on the Christian radio station, which is fine. Those aren't problems. I'm not criticizing them. I'm just saying it's sort of a tip, of, a nod, right? Like it's a tip of the hat. What this says, in all your ways, know him. That the end game for absolutely everything you do is to grow in faith and trust and knowledge of Jesus Christ. In all, your, in all your ways, in absolutely everything you do, know Him. So when you drive your car, know Him. When you go to work, know Him. When you love your kids, know Him. When you go to the Super Bowl party today, know Him. Know Him. All of these things, that, that, all of this terminates on an undying affection for God and who He is because He's so awesome and rad. Did I say rad? Glorious. How about that? Here, here's what it looks like to trust the Lord and know Him in all your ways. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord 
turn away from evil. So on one side, again, this is an, what's called an antithetical parallelism. The first part of the line says what not to do, and the second part of the line is the opposite of that thing. Be not wise in your own eyes. Does it say that you shouldn't be smart, well-educated, well-informed? No. But if you spend your time thinking you are the most awesome dude or dude in the room, you are the center of your affections. If you are spending your life playing king of the mountain in your mind with everybody else at the party, if in your mind you're jockeying for position for who's the best, smartest, prettiest, most wonderful, best driver, best bass fisherman, whatever it is, the center of your affection is you and you're too busy being about you to be about knowing God and everything that you do. He gives us the opposite of that. Fear the Lord. Again, this means to be in awe. To be in awe of Jesus and everything He has done. And co- I mean, we're in Seattle. Coffee's easy. There's 50 different million kinds of coffee you can drink in Seattle. And even Folgers. Yes, Folgers. God gave you taste buds to taste the Folgers. God made the sun to shine on the coffee beans and made the food that the people who who picked them, ate, uh, and made the the, the stuff for the trucks to be made to bring it here to go to the QFC so that you could have your Folgers in your cup. God's sovereign hand was on all of those things. And if you spend your time drinking that Folgers, thinking about how you're a coffee aficionado and you know how much better the coffee at... I will not fill in the blank of any of my favorite coffee roasters, but when you're sitting there thinking about how much better it would be if you just had... That in your cup, instead of thinking about who God is and what He's done and the fact that He even gave you the resources to have the coffee, you're sidetracked. Be in awe. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Again, if you're so busy thinking about how smart, awesome, wonderful, creative, clever you are, you're busy doing that instead of doing repentance. Repentance is this. Turning from sin, turning from evil, and turning to Jesus, right? Christianity is not, I'm going to stop sinning, I'm going to put on my Sunday best, and I'm going to go to church and not be a sinner anymore. That's not Christianity. Christianity is sinners saved by grace, turning from their sin to Jesus, to love Him, be forgiven by Him, to know Him, not because of my act of putting on my Sunday best, but His act of getting on the cross, bleeding and dying for my sin, raising from the dead, and saving me from myself to life. If you're too busy being wise in your own eyes, you will miss the gospel. The gospel is there for us day in, day out, to have our minds Blown by the love of God to be freaked out at how awesome Jesus is. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now hear this. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment uh, to your bones. Uh, this word bones can also mean sort of like the inner, it can be another reference to an idiomatic reference to the inner self. I think it's a mirrorism. Meaning when he says flesh and bones, he means the whole you. Refreshment. A cool, cold drink in the middle of the desert. 
When you take your eyes off of you and even the obsession with your own sin and put your eyes on Jesus, it is a refreshment. In the words of the great American poet, I take a look in the mirror, I'm just sick and bored and tired of myself. Dot, 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 Bruce Springsteen continues, want to change my clothes, my hair, my face. The boss is amazing. But, but I think in there he really gets at that feeling. At some point in time, when your life is all about you, when your whole life is centered on you, if you are at all awake to this reality, man, am I sick of myself in that moment. When I met Jesus, oh my goodness, I was sick of myself. I needed refreshment. Jesus brings that refreshment. We get our eyes off us, our eyes on Jesus, our eyes off loving us, our eyes on loving God and loving others, and our eyes off of what do I always want, the Sprite theme song, Obey Your Thirst, and I get on the biggest, greatest thing that any human being can do in the world, and that's enjoying God. It's what brings Him glory, it's what brings us joy. It's enjoying God, and it is refreshment to the soul. Verse 9, we'll do it. We're going to make it. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Okay, we've talked about this. We'll have to continue to talk about this. There are some verses that are favorites of the health and wealth community. So the health and wealth Christians are going to say, so what you need to do is you need to honor God with the first fruits of your possession. So you need to make sure you're tithing so that if you're tithing, God will bless you. So I'll start by saying that's true, but what they mean by that is wrong. So hang on. Be careful. i got to say everything i got to say so we can get there. Okay? God has given you resources. In fact, God has given you all your resources. He's given you every bit of health you have, every breath in your lungs, every penny in your wallet, uh, every record in your record collection. He's given you absolutely everything, including the strength to even work your job, to get your paycheck, to get those things. And we can feel like we did it all. And oh God, by the way, here's your 10%, of the, here's your cut for letting me survive. And by the way, since I gave you the cut, you better bless me. Who did you give that money to in that moment? If you read this verse and say, what I need to do is I need to give and be generous so God will give me more stuff for me. Are you giving to you or are you giving to God? Someone say you? You're right. You are giving to you at that moment in time. If the whole motivational structure of your life is, I'm going to give to the church, I'm going to give to the poor, I'm going to give to my friends, I'm going to be kind, so, so God will pay me back, you've missed the whole thing. Again, this is a generalization. How do I know this is a generalization? Raise your hand if you have a barn. Barns? Anybody got a barn to get full? I have a goat shed. It's almost a barn, but it's not a barn at all. It's an outbuilding at best. It's more of a shack. Because I built it. So we honor the Lord with your wealth. You could put in here resources. Honor the Lord with the breath of your lungs. Honor the Lord with every dime you have. Honor the Lord with all your time. Honor the Lord with all your intellect and all your strength and everything you've got. Honor God with all of those things. Put all of that to work of knowing God, loving God, loving the church, loving the lost. Put everything you've got into that. And guess what he's going to do? 
As a generalization, I've seen him continue to give people more resources. Now, does that mean your bank account will swell? That is not what I'm saying. Have I seen God take people in their kindness who love serving other people and give people more strength somehow to even serve others? Yeah, I have. And you know what? Those people don't even notice it because what are they focused on? They're, they're focused on loving God and loving people. But do I think this is a formula for your bank account to swell? Nope. And in fact, I think if you read this, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And you're saying, cool, so I'm going to get all this stuff out of the deal. Again, you're going to miss the whole thing. Who's been faithful of little, he's going to give much, but that much isn't so that you get the payoff. That much is for his glory and for his kingdom. It's not the blessing. Uh, Go with me. Joe read it, but we've got to look at it real quick. This is what it means by blessing, he thinks. Verse 1. Uh, pardon me, Psalm 1, verse 1. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed or happy. Uh, this word is always something God does to some, one of us. It's something that always goes from God to people. God is doing this in our life. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, uh, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law, or the Torah of the Lord, And on his law, he meditates day and night. So what's the blessing? Read your Bible slowly. Because if we just cue into that, oh, blessed is the man. God's going to give him some cash. God's going to give him the Lamborghini. God's going to give him the win. No, blessed is the man what? This is the blessing. This is the blessing. Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the seat of sinners, or sits in the way of scoffers. That is the blessing of God in your life. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. That is the blessing in your life. That you open God's word and drink deeply and find joy in Jesus. This is the greatest. Jesus Christ and knowing him is the greatest blessing you can receive, period. That's a gospel. That's a different kind of prosperity. Verse 9, 10, 11. Verse 11, Proverbs. Okay, so we can trust God in his guidance because in all these things, he is guiding us and he is leading us and we need to trust him along the way. Verse 11, we also need to trust him in his correction. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof. Those are two words that really mean discipline. He's, being, he's emphasizing two different synonyms, really. For the Lord reproves him who he loves. Oh. Couldn't we just stop there and sing the song? I like the thing about trusting him and refreshment and stuff, but fortunately the author of Hebrews is so kind to us to say, and that's difficult at times. There, you can read it. You're not going to read it because you're going to go to the Super Bowl party, but it's there, I promise. (laughs) My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be wary of his reproof. Why? For the Lord reproves him who he loves as the father of the son whom he delights. You and me and our kids are at the park. I don't correct your kids. You correct your kids. It's not my job. It's your job. You're the one making disciples of your kids. I'm the one making disciples of my kids. I got to correct my kids. I got to walk with my kids. Your job is to walk with your kids and correct your kids. Why? Because they're your kids. God corrects those who he loves. Why? Because you're his kids. You're his kids. God doesn't just let you go. You're getting off track. 
You're getting away from Jesus. You're getting off gospel. You're getting away from the Bible. God corrects us, and he brings us back, right? Now, it's really important here. Really, whoa, really important. We need to understand this is how he demonstrates his love for us, but we need to understand the context of it because I think so many of us have developed a sense of God that he's just always waiting to get us. We step out of line and he gets us. He jumps out behind the bush and he sicks us, right? God's just waiting. He's not. In fact, he usually starts gently trying to get you back on course and he continues to turn, turn it up. Testimonies? No? Just me? Turns it up, makes it louder, makes it clearer. Why? Because he loves us. But again, it needs to be in the context. He's not waiting to jump out behind a bush to get you. Because what is the context of being corrected by God? It's being a child of God. So I know that I'm forgiven by God. He's not getting me and correcting me and calling on my sin as punishment because I know his son took every piece of punishment I ever deserved for every wrong thing I ever did. He drank that cup so I didn't have to on the cross. So the context is I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm accepted, and you are a son or daughter of God most high as he moves in your life. Now, there's three major ways he does this. One is your conscience. You do something five minutes later, you guys, oh, that was wrong. That was wrong. I need to fix that. As a forgive, blood bought, sinner saint. Blood bought, sinner saint. Say, enunciate. Uh, secondly, is through his word. Uh, I don't know if you had this experience. Uh, I came to Christ later in life, and I kept, I kept showing up at church, and someone would open the Bible and say, This is what the Bible says, yada, yada, yada. And I would say, I've got some work to do this afternoon because I've got to fix some things because that yada, yada, yada just covered a lot of sin. I'm sinning and I need to stop. But I didn't even know. I hadn't read the whole Bible. But it turns out when you get in there, you're like, yep, uh uh-huh. That's about me, not about God. Yep, that hurts God. That hurts people. That hurts me. I need to repent. You can be reading your Bible at home or wherever. You can read it wherever you want. You have a telephone with a Bible on it. You're reading the Bible and you realize, yep, that's what the Word says and this is what I'm doing and they're different. The other major way is through the church, through loving, godly Christian community. In the context of love, Christian people, you either sin against them or they see you sinning and they come to you and they lovingly say, brother or sister, this is what the Bible says and this is what you're doing and they're different and I love you and Jesus loves you more importantly. Now that doesn't mean I don't like your attitude, I don't like what you're up to, I don't think you should have bought that or done this thing or whatever, and you sit with your hand on your hip and you just criticize everybody. I'm saying chapter and verse, the the Bible says this, and this is what you're doing. Now, you can have those friends. You know those friends where you say, wow, Ferrari? Why'd you buy a Ferrari? Ferrari? People still drive. Do they make Ferraris? A DeLorean. How about a DeLorean? (laughs) Bought a DeLorean, huh? Why'd you do that? You can ask questions lovingly, graciously. We're We're not sin snipers. We're not the heart police. I don't know what's going on in your heart. And if I'm concerned about your heart, I can I can ask some follow up questions. But I need to be very, 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 very careful. I don't walk around playing sin sniper. Okay? And we repent when that happens. But at the end of the day, all this is that we trust the Lord. We trust God and not ourselves. We trust Him with our whole hearts. We trust His Word and we trust His life. When we don't 
do this, when we don't trust God, when we're not putting our trust in His Son, Jesus Christ, we, we don't believe His favor. We don't believe that there's things that we can do that would actually please Him. And in fact, we're always playing the game where He paid the price, Jesus Christ, this is my life, this is my timeline. Uh, he paid for the price for all my sins up until the time that I met Him. But I have to take care of everything after that. I have to do penance at that point in time, which is not the gospel. Or, I just don't actually trust his ways. I don't, I don't trust that his ways are the ways that are actually going to please him, and I just try and figure it out on my own. When I don't trust him, I don't take his guidance. I don't believe his guidance. I don't believe his Bible when his Bible says, this will kill you. Andrew Pack, I say, no, no, I, I it's cool. I, you know, I, I know the Bible says to do this, but... If I really want to get ahead in the world and I want a promotion at work and if, uh, you know, if I don't want to have to pay all these taxes or I want my house to be worth something or I want to get ahead of the game or whatever it might be, I should probably do it this way. Which, of course, in comes correction. We don't trust the God, God's correction. Like I said, he usually starts very quiet. He works in the conscience. We have the spirit. right? God, God moves. He does tend to continue to ratchet it up because he loves you. But we don't believe his correction. We get to the Bible, we read it, it says, yeah, that's clearly what it says there. I know I'm doing that. But perhaps the context of the first century is different than that. Maybe Paul's missing it. He doesn't know what it's like to be in 2015. Maybe Moses, he's really old. He doesn't get it at all. When you read the Bible, and the Bible says, Drunkenness is a sin. And you say, well, but he didn't mean like on Super Bowl Sunday, right? It's a party. It's, it's Christmas, right? Money, mammon and money stuff. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Well, yeah, I know, but he doesn't know about my bass boat. I'm, I'm going to go bass fishing with a bow and arrow. He doesn't know about bow fishing, right? <laughs> you get the bass. But you need the nice boat. You need the stuff to get there. Maybe I'm the only one that's into that. That's okay. We don't trust his correction. We need to trust his sovereignty. God has tomorrow figured out. God has eternity figured out. God has the hairs on your head numbered. We need to trust that. That he is the king of everything. We need to start there. Jesus is the king. You don't get anything out of this sermon and you walk away remembering who the king is because I sang the Sunday school song. I don't care, man. He is the king of me. He's the king of everything. We trust God's mercy. We trust the gospel. I know he's forgiven me, but I just can't forgive myself. Well, he's the king, so you don't get to play that game. The one who forgives you is Jesus. I know, but my past is so dark and so nasty. Or what's going on right now is so dark and so nasty that if I let anybody know about that, well, here's the deal. He's the sovereign king of the universe. He already knows about that. And if you're in Christ, you're loved and forgiven. Jesus Christ paid your sins so you don't have to. We need to trust his mercy. It's so wide and it's so huge and it's so massive. The mercy of God. We trust God's promises. 
not height nor depth nor powers nor principalities could ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Even your sin cannot separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He will never leave you nor forsake you. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Durable promises of God. Which leads us into the next thing. We trust his character. So yesterday, he said, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, what about today? Same yesterday, today, and forever. The Alpha and the Omega. His character does not change. And we trust his word. Cover to cover. Genesis to Revelation. We trust it. He made it good. We broke it. He promised to redeem it. He did so by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, raised from the dead. He's using the church right now as ambassadors of this good news. The kingdom is now and is not yet. God is spreading the good news throughout the world. The nations are being saved. Seattle, you are being saved. God's moving. He's going to return. He's going to set up his rule and his reign. He's going to resurrect the dead. He's going to put the world back the way it's supposed to be. And those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will be with him in the new heavens and the new earth forever. And every tear will be wiped from every eye. And sin and death and Satan will be no more. Bible in about a minute and a half. We trust this. Trust the Lord with all your heart. And lean on not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your paths straight. This is the synergistic reality of Matthew 5. Our job, trust God. His job, work out all things for good. It's synergistic. It's our action, his sovereignty. But by the way, our actions are led by what? New heart, empowered by the Holy Spirit, allowed to have eyes to see and ears to hear, to trust in his Son and to trust his word and his sovereign movement by the Spirit in our life, day in and day out. He's making your path straight. You're trusting in him. If you do not know our King, today is the day. Jesus Christ is God who saves sinners from themselves to life and there is nothing you can do to earn his love. Turn from your sin and turn to him and live. You bring nothing too dark for my king. And if you are a Christian, trust God. The world will engineer a life for you that can even feel very nice, that's antithetical to our king. Has plans and ways and schemes you can trust in that are antithetical to our king. Are you trusting him? And what I'd say to you, man, today is the day. You're loved. You're forgiven. You belong to him. Lean not on you. Lean into him. Let's pray. Lord, it is so easy to trust in myself. It is so easy to think that I'm wise in my own eyes. It is so easy to have a hard heart regarding your correction in my life. It is so easy to distrust you on my own. But Lord, you've given me a new heart. You've given us new hearts. 
You've given us your Holy Spirit. You have given us your word. Help us, Jesus. Empower us to lean not on our own understanding, to rest not on our own accomplishment or our own work or our own understanding, but to trust you with absolutely everything we've got from sunup to sundown and even when we're sleeping. I pray we would sleep well tonight knowing you're the king. I put my head on the pillow and you keep the world turning. Help me, Lord. Help us, Lord, to trust you, to believe you, to have faith in you, to know you. Jesus, we love you. Pray these things for your glory and for our joy and in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.